Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 295 with Melissa Dahl. Melissa is talking all about awkwardness and how to deal with it and the beauty that could be within it. So you'll learn one, when self-consciousness can be helpful. Two, a quick exercise to instantly make you feel less self-conscious. And three, how to effectively navigate an awkward conversation. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, it's over awesomeatyourjob.com slash F295. And while there, we'll also link to the cool videos we've been putting out in preparation for the launch of the Do I Stay or Go course, all about making your next career decision. So if you're on the email list, you already saw those. But if you're not, first, I would say, come on down and join. And secondly, I'd say those are also linked right there in the awesomeatyourjob.com slash F295. Now, here is Melissa's story. Melissa Dahl is a senior editor at New York Magazine's The Cut, where she leads the health and psychology coverage. In 2014, she helped launch Science of Us, New York Magazine's popular social science website. Her writing interests include personality, emotions, and mental health. Outside of New York Magazine, Melissa's byline has appeared in Elle, Parents, and the New York Times. Big thanks to Melissa for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Melissa. Melissa, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I think we're going to have a whole lot of fun with this conversation. And I think we both had our fair share of, of awkward moments. Yes. Could, you, could you tell us a little bit about a time you once uh, ran into a light pole? Oh my gosh, you heard about that too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so this, is, uh, this happened a few years ago. I am very much not a morning person, but sometimes I kind of like to pretend to be one and was meeting my friend Marie for like a 6 a.m. jog um, on the East River. And we had we had like just started and I, I, I do not know how it happened, but I like ran straight into a pole, like a, a light pole. I, I have to this day, I have no idea how it happened. And I write about this in the book and how, I, you know, you're instinct when these sorts of things happen is to just play it off and say, Oh, I'm fine. Fine. It was fine. Even if you're like, it really, really hurt, you know? So yeah, the, the funny, I mean, we can kind of get into this later, I guess. But the funny thing about that was I didn't tell my friend Maria, I was putting that in the book. And when she got to it, um, cause she, I gave her an early copy. She was like, Oh, I mean, I kind of remember that, but I don't remember it in this much detail. So, uh, <laughs> So yeah, it didn't 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 have as much of an impact on her as it did on me. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, I guess emotionally and the memory and physically, and you know, physically, <laughs> yes, directly. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh mercy! Well, well, yes, I I do want because yes, that is an illustration of an important principle that that we're going to get to. But maybe you could orient us first and foremost. So your book, Cringeworthy, what's it all about? Yeah, so the book is about. So I am a senior editor at The Cut, where I cover, um, which is a, a New York Magazine website, and I cover health and psychology there. I've written about psychology for a long time. And, you know, I'm really interested in, in emotions, kind of relationships, how, you know, how we understand ourselves, how we understand each other. And so this book is sort of an outgrowth of that. I wanted to understand the feeling of awkwardness, which is something that I don't know about you, but I feel a lot. <laughs> and I, I just, I wasn't, what I've always really liked about my job is it's like, it's like 
almost like highbrow self-help, you know, like I'm reading these academic studies and there's some kind of just nugget in there of, oh, I could apply this to my life and it's going to make me better at this or it's going to make me uh, relationships go more smoothly or something like that. And I just kind of couldn't find anything that was applied to awkwardness. So that's what the book kind of is, just me trying to understand this feeling and what the purpose of it might be. And I actually have to tell you, it, it started as a book about how to avoid awkwardness, how to kind of overcome it and, and protect yourself from ever feeling this way. And by the end, I kind of came to really, really like this weird little emotion. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. And so, you know, well, first of all, it's for those who are curious or intrigued, what's there to like about it, Melissa? Yeah. So a few things, I think. So one of the things is one of my kind of the, the subtitle of the book is a theory of awkwardness. And so one of my, um, my sort of major theory is I think that awkward moments happen when the version of yourself you're trying to present to the world is shown to be incompatible with reality in some way. So, you know, I would like to present to the world that I am not the kind of person who runs into lamp poles and then I do. And so, or, um, a good, a good, really a, a good recent example of this is at the, at the winter Olympics, a couple of months ago, there was this picture that went around of a, I think she was a Russian athlete wearing a shirt that said something like, I don't do doping or something like that. And then it turned out she failed a drug test. Um, Oh, bummer. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember someone at my job put that into the chat and just wrote awkward on it. So it kind of shows you, I think it kind of shows you that there's a gap sometimes between the version of yourself you're trying to present to the world and the version of yourself the world is actually kind of seeing. And so if that's true, then I think one good thing about these kinds of moments is that it kind of maybe shows us some places where we need improvement. If we're, if we're open to it, you know, it can show us some places where we could grow. So that's sort of my main theory of awkwardness. But the other aspect of it, uh, of it is that I came to really love is, you know, these, these moments feel isolating. It feels like you're the only one who just feels like a embarrassing idiot. But of course we all feel this way. So if we are a little more open about it, it's a way to kind of connect with people. So Oh, that is good. Well, I would have follow up on a couple of those points there. And so first you say that the awkwardness happens when there's a mismatch between sort of your self perception or or the version of yourself that you you know, have in mind and, and versus what is, is picked up by others. And so would you say that this is a mismatch in sort of the, the, the net disappointing direction? Like I think of myself as someone who doesn't dope and yet here I am being found out as someone who dopes or can it happen in the opposite as well? It's like, you know, I think of myself as just sort of like a normal guy, but then uh, people are telling me that I'm a genius. Does that also feel awkward? I actually sort of think, I think that we certainly we certainly think of it more in the negative direction, you know, like if you think you were having a pretty good hair day and then you see a picture of yourself and you're like, Oh my gosh, actually like, you know, my hair was super greasy or something like that. Yeah, and no one like, told me Yeah, <laughs> that's, exactly. that's happened before. It's like, we were talking for more than an hour. What? You didn't think yeah. that this warranted a mention? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I think it's typically in that direction. But I don't know. I sometimes think that like it might be, it, I, I think it, I think we feel weird whenever, and I think we feel, I think we feel unsettled a little bit whenever we realize the self you're trying to present to the world is not 
is not the way other people are seeing you. There's a story I write about in the book. It's an anthropologist story from the late sixties. And he went to this, this tribe in Papua New Guinea. Um, and he had reason to believe that they, um, these folks had never seen their reflections that they'd never, they'd never, you know, seen in photographic image of themselves. They'd never seen themselves in a mirror. And he, he kind of came and, and his arrival changed all that. He brought mirrors, he brought Polaroid cameras, he brought tape recorders. And he, as he, as he writes it, he, he wrote this report about it later. Um, he, they all just kind of cowered and, and kind of just like clenched their, like their stomachs and kind of, um, gritted their teeth. And I think, I think you could say they, they cringed, they cringed at the way, at the way they looked at the way they sounded. And I'm not sure we can say they all thought like, Oh, I'm, I'm uglier than I thought, but just like, Oh, it, there's just something existentially weird about thinking there is the you that exists in your own head. And then there's the you running around out there who other people actually see and that those are often the same, but sometimes they're not. So so yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of uh, part of it. Yeah, that's true. I guess it would be unusual if, if all of those villagers set were disappointed. In, yeah. in, cause I guess some of them would probably be surprised like, oh, I got some good muscles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's paid yeah, off think, all that work I've been doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's just something strange about the fact, like the confronting the fact that like, I don't know. You 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 don't just exist in your head. That other people see you maybe a little differently than you see yourself. That's just a little strange to reckon with, even if it is in a positive direction. Yeah, it is strange to reckon with. And one thing I find strange to have a hard time reckoning with is is when you're in the midst of a situation and someone actually explicitly says the word awkward. Yeah. <laughs> What's up with that? Any any research insights on that one? Oh my gosh. I know that was such a thing when I was in college. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm glad it's died down a little bit. I don't hear yeah, it as much anymore. I, I feel like it's kind of migrated to people like, like my mother now says that a lot, although she might just say it because like, you know, just I'm writing this. Book. <laughs> so I think that like, like that term kind of has become kind of a cliche and almost like kind of, kind of annoying, you know? Um, but I think that it's, what it was supposed to be, what was it intended for actually helped a lot. You know, I mean, there is something, I think there's something um, about calling, calling attention to the awkwardness of a situation that if you do it right, it can kind of diffuse it, you know? So, you know, your, your, your listeners want to be awesome at work. There's a lot of awkward situations at work. You maybe have to like give someone feedback and you don't know how to say it, or maybe you have to tell someone they didn't get this job. They, um, you know, this, this promotion they put in for. And I think sometimes it, it can help kind of cushion the blow a little bit or or make it a little less uncomfortable if you just kind of say, acknowledge, like, you know, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be a little hard to hear. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. Maybe even this is going to be a little awkward, but, um, yeah, I think that's where I think it came from a good place, but, um, but the awkward thing morphed into something very annoying. So don't do that. But, well, that's um, <laughs> true. You know, I, I like that because I think if you just, you know, sort of declare in advance, Hey, this is what's going on. Yeah. You know, that really can be helpful as opposed to just saying awkward. It's like, 
Yeah. Oh, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. That's annoying. But but the um but the impulse the impulse makes sense. And I think the impulse is a good one. So kind of digging that out of the out of the annoying. <laughs> oh, it is good. Thank you. Well I'd also want to hear a little bit about the awkwardness vortex yeah. turn of a phrase. You know, <laughs> Well, what does this mean? Yeah, so this is something I discovered um, in the research. There is all this, uh, there's all this uh, psychological research linking uh, nervousness and self-consciousness. And basically, if you are nervous, you become more self-conscious. If you are self-conscious, you become nervous. And it just, the two kind of exacerbate each other and it goes round and round and round. And so I called it this, the awkwardness vortex. So it's the kind of thing where like, if you're going in for a job interview and you sit down and suddenly you can't remember like, wait, what am I supposed to do with my legs? Should I, should I cross my legs or should I cross them to the side? Should I go to the other side? Should I just not cross them? What, what should I do? So, you know, you're, you're nervous. So you're kind of like zeroing in on like your body. Like what is, what am I doing? What am I, you know, what, what is my arm doing? And then focusing in on yourself makes you more nervous. And it just, it just goes round and round and round. So yes, that is that is the awkwardness vortex. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's intriguing. Can you give us a couple more examples of, of how that can can play out? And sort of if you find yourself emerging or, or beginning to enter that, how do you escape? Yeah, well, I mean, another example. This is kind of a, a pop culture example, but um, it's like a silly example. But it's in one of the Austin Powers movies. I think it's, I think it's like the third one, which is not a good movie. But there's a part where there's like a spy or a character or something who has a really big mole on his face oh, and yes. Austin is trying to say anything but you know calling attention to the mole and then it just kind of comes out like oh mole, mole, you know and it's a funny it's a funny scene but I but I think that sort of could be applicable here you know like if, if um you're just trying you're, you're you're trying so hard not to offend somebody and but then all you can think about is what you're saying what you're doing and how that might be offending them and then that's making you nervous you're going to offend them. And then, and then, you know, it's just the, um, it's just that link between nervousness and self-consciousness is a really established thing in the literature. So the good thing is because it's so established, the folks who study this say that there, there is a pretty clear way out, which is if self-consciousness is part of the thing that triggers this, the way out of the awkwardness vortex is to focus on anything but yourself, you know, like just, just focus on trying to get to know the person in front of you to go back to the the job interview example, uh, maybe do some work beforehand and think like, okay, these are the three things about myself. I'm going to get across in this interview. Just, just focusing on anything but yourself, calling attention to the weather, calling attention to, I don't know, some third party thing that that should help. Oh, that is good. And that notion of, of fixating on, on what not to say causing problems. This reminds me of a scene in The Simpsons where Principal Skinner is is addressing the student body and he's he just he doesn't know what to say regarding girls and math. <laughs> and he's just trying so hard not to say the, the the wrong thing and he just breaks down and says, Tell me what you want me to say. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I think that like this is kind of a lot of what I was writing about. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm. The book is kind of aimed at people who are acting in good faith, who don't, you know, that chapter especially about like the awkwardness vortexes of people who don't don't want to uh, don't want to offend someone, but not in like a not in like a politically correct way, but just just don't want to be offensive. They want they're people who want to be kind and make other people feel respected and welcome. And sometimes I think focusing so hard on that 
it, it just causes us to clam up and get more nervous and get more self-conscious. So yeah, so part of this is kind of just taking a few steps back and not zeroing in so hard on yourself. It really helps. And you say we have good reason to feel less self-conscious. Can you un- unpack that a little bit? You've got a, a handy exercise. Well, so an interesting thing, a really interesting thing about self-consciousness that the psychologists who study this say is that it, it, you know, it doesn't exist to torture you. Like the, the point of self-consciousness is to help you learn. It's, it's to, you know, like a, um, a baseball player or something who is working on his swing. He has to be, or, or, or someone who's like learning to play a sport like tennis or something like that. That's maybe a better analogy. You are being pretty self-conscious. You're zeroing in on your actions, on your body. And that's a good thing. You know, that's the, that's, that's what you have to do to learn. So that's actually helped me too, um, to talk about kind of why we feel self-conscious, that it's, it's not, not there to torture me. It's there, it's there for a purpose. But that said, ways to not let it completely run your life. Um, one of them is the, the focusing on other people. And then the other thing is, you know, just realizing that nobody else is as, as, as self-conscious of yourself as you are. You know, no one else is as focused on you as you are, which I know we all know you know, in our heads, but it's hard. You forget that when you've done something really silly, you think everyone's, everyone's looking, everyone's like the example with the, the, the lamppost. My, my friend didn't really even remember that. I mean, she kind of did, but like, but not really. So. Oh yes. Now, now you, you suggest an exercise, right? In terms of really kind of checking that out with a best friend with regard to your know, awkward or embarrassing memories. Yeah. And, and so can you unpack that a bit? Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. It's like the opposite version of, you know, my friend Marie not remembering me crashing into a lamppost. We've been friends for a long time and I kind of can't, I'm trying to call to mind something embarrassing she's done. She's someone I see all the time. I know I've seen her do something or say something embarrassing, but I really can't remember anything. Or now I'm trying to think of like my college best friend. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure I've seen her done, do a million dumb things. We've been friends for a really long time. So to me, that's a, that's a good exercise. I mean, you know, your brain will come up with some, some things if they're, if they're funny stories or if you've repeated them a lot. But, um, but I think for the most part, it's pretty hard to remember something that, I don't know, something dumb your coworker said last week that, that she might be, you know, still really punishing herself over like, Oh, I can't believe I made that stupid joke in the meeting. I'm such an idiot. Like, you know, I, I can't, I can't remember any of that. So yeah, trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes and trying to call to mind an embarrassing thing someone else has done is a pretty good, pretty good exercise. That's awesome. Thank you. And now I'm curious if we are going to enter into some territory that, that sounds like it could be awkward. You mentioned one pro tip is just sort of kind of setting the stage or the context and admitting what's there, calling a spade a spade. Do you have any other perspectives on, you know, what is the optimal way to, to go forward into a conversation you perceive is likely to be awkward? Well, so, okay. So I have a chapter in my book about awkwardness at work. And one thing, one kind of like underrated awkward thing at work is friendships we work with people, um, but we're also friends with them. And so we're kind of playing these two roles with them. And I don't know about you, but I've certainly been in plenty of situations where I'm friends with my coworker, but also she is not pulling her weight and I don't know what to do. I feel like I need to, I don't know how to have that conversation, you know, or, you know, something like, um, this, this is a real thing that happened to a friend of mine, her coworker, 
just disappears to go to the gym for a couple hours in the afternoon. And it, and she has to cover for the coworker and it's really starting to make her mad. Um, so I think work friendships is a place where it can be pretty awkward. So, so how to talking about how to deal with it. I think, I think one thing that helps, I think sometimes awkwardness can come from a feeling of uncertainty. You know, I don't know what to say next. I don't know what to do next. You know, that's such a common thing when, when you're feeling awkward. So to use this example of a problem with a friend at work, the best thing you can do to cut through that discomfort, I think, is just to be as direct as possible, just as straightforward as possible, which can feel uncomfortable, but it's actually, I think, the kindest thing to do. You know, you can say it in a kind way, but it's it's better to just say it to your friend that you're doing this. It makes me feel this way and you've got to knock it off. So so anyway, yeah, I I think that, I think that straightforwardness and directness can help cut through some of the awkwardness actually. Like I think that we, I think we think that the answer is to kind of dance around the subject and like, Oh, I can't like, I I can't say that. I can't say that directly. I can't, I, I can't bring up this problem, but I think it would be better if we all got up the guts to be a little more a little more straightforward. You know, it, it's funny. I think you're, you're, you're dead on and it makes it, it makes it more awkward when, when you're dancing around it. I remember one time I was coordinating this, uh, this youth leadership seminar and, and it so happened that there was another group in the same facilities. And so that I was familiar with, and there was this dude who was like a, like a hero to me that I had heard of from afar and I've read his book. <laughs> and it was like, oh my gosh, that is Curtis Martin, which means nothing to most people. But he was like, well, that guy is a big deal. And, yeah. uh, and he's in the room. And actually, me and my staff, we all need to get in this room and sort of set things up because we're going to have a bunch of, bunch of students coming through here soon. And so I was like, oh my gosh, how do I boot almighty Curtis Martin <laughs> out, of, oh, yeah. out of this room. And so I, I, I remember I went in there and I felt super awkward. I was like, oh, hi. Um, so we, uh, hi, I'm Pete and uh, I'm a big fan. And um, <laughs> we have also a, a need. He's like, oh, you need the room? He's like, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and so and it was it was merciful, you know, that that he just yeah. directly said what was there, and so I, I think that's a that's a good move, and and, and I guess there's a fear <laughs> associated with going there, like they'll be offended or or, yeah. or they'll lash back or sort of terribly negative things will unfold if we if we say what we really think. Yeah, but I think there's a way to to do it with with kindness, and I think that um, sometimes like the simplest way is is the best way to do it uh, yeah i think you kind of like have to either you either have to have the awkward conversation you have to kind of be straightforward with the person or you just have to live with the thing that's bothering you like if if it's a work situation especially but probably in any situation so yeah that's... they'll do it well tell uh, well, i'd love to hear you know what what's your verbiage that you settled upon when it, for the, the gym situation or the friend coworker not pulling the weight situation. Can we hear it flashback? You're, you're back there in the scene. What were the words you said? Yeah. Well, so the, well, the gym situation is a, is a friend of mine, the pulling weight, the other person not pulling their weight. Um, this was 
this was years ago before I went through my exercise in studying awkwardness. And I didn't, I didn't say anything. I'd never said anything. And actually, um, the resentment grew and grew and grew. And I, I don't consider this person a friend anymore. And which is, you know, I guess that sometimes happens with coworkers, but looking back, I have a really negative feeling about it. And I think that I could have, I could have stopped that and we could have had a much better working relationship. So that's kind of example of, I just was afraid to have the conversation. I was afraid just, I would tell everybody else, like, I can't believe I'm doing all this work, you know, but, um, but I never said it to this person and, and I'm sorry that I didn't, you know, um, I mean, I write in the book about, you know, I, I kind of have a spotty track record of, of rising to the moment of, of awkwardness. There was a time I was a brand new manager and, you know, some folks had kind of complained to me about one of my direct reports. He's kind of rude. He's, you know, making more work for others. And we're having our weekly one-on-one. And I I literally had written down in my notes, address attitude. And I just, I didn't do it. I didn't know how to bring it up. And so I didn't do it. So I have fallen. I have, you know, I have uh, not stood up in moments of awkwardness. Uh, It's hard, you know, it can be really hard. However, I think since kind of studying the heck out of this feeling, I have kind of become less afraid of it. This, this was, oh, this is pretty awkward at work, I guess. Um, uh, we went through a reorg here last summer as I was kind of finishing up the book and all of a sudden I didn't know who my boss was, which is like a really embarrassing thing to have to admit. Cause I kind of like let it go on for a couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, <laughs> who is <laughs> like that? Like Dr. Seuss, like, you know, a book like, are, are you my mommy? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I just decided to, I just, I just asked, I just asked directly. I just went into my old boss's office. I was like, Hey, this is kind of weird, but like, I actually, are you still my boss? Is this other person my boss? He's like, Oh yeah, we should, you should know that. Okay, here, let me, let me, you know, go into <laughs> person. So I am just so a fan of being directed. Actually, I don't know the things you do that you think are saving you from awkwardness kind of just dig you in further sometimes. Um, well, yeah, that, that's kind of what's connected for me in terms of, you know, we fear these negative outcomes if you go there directly, but there are other negative outcomes that if, if, if you don't with regard to one, you had the resentment that resulted in, in the destruction of the relationship mm-hmm. or, or two for the, the rude coworker with a bad attitude. If you never address that for him, I, I don't know where he ended up. But yeah, I'm the, not doing him a favor, you know, in yeah. the long run. I mean, yeah. he could get fired and yeah. he's broke. And because yeah. you didn't go there, not to heap the guilt on you, Melissa. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, negative outcomes can happen for not going there that, that far exceed the negative outcomes of that you fear for going there. Yeah. I also sometimes think like we, we, we think we're, we're avoiding the awkward conversation because we're trying to protect the other person's feelings. But I think, I think it's more often we're protecting ourselves. You know, we don't want to come off as a critical negative person. We want to, you know, if it's a, a boss situation, you want to be the cool boss or whatever, or like you want to be the cool coworker, <laughs> like I'm chill. It's fine. Do whatever you want, but um, <laughs> but uh, it's it, yeah, it, it it doesn't. I think it's kinder in the long run to have those conversations. So. When you say cool boss, I don't know why I'm, I'm thinking about uh, was it AC Slater or, uh, or, or or Will Riker? Always backwards, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. backwards chair. That's, you oh, know, yeah, yeah that's, how I, that's how I have my my meetings. <laughs> Take a chair, turn around backwards. Hey, oh, you're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want a cigarette? <laughs> oh, that, that is cool. And, and, 
But no, that's a that's a great perspective when it comes to you're, you're protecting yourself as opposed to their feelings. And in a way, if you think about we'd call a hero or a person who is really loving or, or generous, it's a person who who takes a, a personal risk uh, for the benefit of another. And so it's like you're you're scared of of what's to to come, but you know that they'll be enriched by you sharing it potentially if they receive it. I mean, they mm-hmm. they might just reject it, but uh, there's there's a chance of them really being enriched, and there's a risk of you suffering some kind of a consequence. It might be just an awkward feeling. It might be a damaged relationship or or yuck. It and so in a way. You going there makes you a hero. Yeah, and well, and I, I should say it's not like it's guaranteed that these conversations will always go well. The person right. might not react well, but I think that you can only you know control what you can control. But the other thing I kind of wanted to to say is sometimes sometimes you're on the the receiving end of the awkwardness. Someone is pointing out something about you you don't want to hear. Someone is saying to you like, hey, I've been doing all your work for you the last three weeks or something. And you're like, wait, but that's because I was, you know, that's because of that's because of that. I think that when, when we're in that situation, our natural reaction is to be pretty defensive. And I think if, you know, as I kind of think awkwardness comes from, in part, at least from that gap between how you see yourself and how others see you. This is an example of that, that someone is showing you like, you know, I, I I see you in this pretty unflattering light and it's our natural reaction to kind of push that out. But I think it's, it's really useful sometimes to kind of sit there in the awkwardness and hear what the other person has to say about you. And it's not always necessarily true, but sometimes it is. And sometimes other people's perspectives about you are worth hearing because other people can see parts of us that we can't really see. So so yeah, that's the other side of that. Um, oh yeah. That. What would you have any pro tips? If, if you're feeling defensive, you're hearing something, you don't like it, you're getting those defensive vibes bubbling up inside. Yeah. What's what's the best practice? All I can think is like what I do is just something that helps is maybe to kind of like take a third person perspective almost like of the situation or like, I don't know, just kind of distance yourself from the situation a little bit. It helps. Um, and just think like, okay, this is what this person thinks of me. It's, it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't even mean it's necessarily true, but this is, this is one opinion of me. This is one viewpoint on me. Let me see if I can look at this, step outside of myself and look at this from their perspective and, and kind of try to evaluate it subjectively. And trying to kind of tap into like a cooler mindset rather than the kind of like heated response, I think helps. And and then just to me, kind of having a a mindset of this could help me grow. This could help me become a better person if what this person is telling me is true. And if it is something I could improve on, then then thank God they told me. Like the um, the direct report I had who you know, was, was pretty rude to people around the office. He was a nice guy. I'm sure he wasn't doing it on purpose. So if I had had that conversation with him, I would hope he could have just let that in and let that perspective of himself in and let it clash with how he sees himself. And I don't know, and, and maybe use that perspective and use that feedback to maybe become a little closer towards that person he thinks he is or you know, or you think you are to, to turn it back to, to you. But anyway, 
Um, I hope that makes sense. Well, no, that is good. Certainly just to, to focus in on, it's like, I don't like this. I think this is bullcrap, you know, et cetera, to there might be something worthwhile within yeah. this to facilitate my growth. And, and so I will receive it. And, and that, that third that third person perspective sounds handy. And then maybe even just spending some time with it, you know, after the fact in terms of, you know, just, uh, I, I thought that was outrageous. This, this, they don't have the right context for, but this, huh. I never yeah. heard that before. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like, you know, back to the analogy of like having a picture taken of you where you, you look really unfamiliar to yourself. So like, it's true that maybe it did catch you at a bad angle or just a weird look on your face or something, but it also sh- it, it's like shows you a side of yourself you couldn't see and you don't have to take it and be like, Oh, that's, that's me. I always have that weird look on my face or my hair's always doing something weird, but it's good to, sometimes I think it's good to see those unflattering aspects of yourself that you can't really see on your own. So. Oh, cool. Thank you. Well, tell me, Melissa, anything else you really want to make sure to cover before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? See, I think that, I mean, I guess maybe just kind of going back to the, um, the part about how these moments can help us connect with each other. We, I did the, um, the, uh, Jordan Harpinger's podcast and he also had a story about running into a lamppost, which I was like, what? (laughs) Um, I I was so surprised about to to hear that. Um, so what I have come to really love about these moments is it's like, it's, if we look at it in the right light, it's like these little moments where like a very real vulnerable part of you can connect with a very real vulnerable part of somebody else. Like as I've done interviews and stuff, people have kind of broken in with their own stories. Like, Oh my gosh, that reminds me of this time. It reminds me of that time. And there's something very cool about this little feeling and these, these little moments that just, they have the power to kind of connect us in a way that I didn't really appreciate before I uh, started on this. So. That's good. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us uh, a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I don't know if this qualifies as a favorite quote, but something I keep returning to lately is constant vigilance from Harry Potter, um, <laughs> which is uh, the um, Mad-Eye Moody says this, and it's about, um, you know, keeping your, keeping on guard, you know, against the Death Eaters or something like that. But I've I've been just thinking about that in terms of uh, I'm, I'm trying to get back into shape and, you know, like I've, I've just, the only way to do it is, I think the way I'm interpreting that quote is like the only way to do something really is the hard way. If you want to do it well, I'm trying to get back into shape and I I've just kind of been half-heartedly, you know, doing some workouts and I've had this quote in mind and, and, and it's kind of helped, this is so stupid, but it's kind of helped me stick to, um, like, yeah, I have to, I have to stick to this workout plan. I, this, I said I was going to run three miles today. I'm going to run three miles today. Just the idea of, I think it says to me that like little, little efforts made every single day add up to something. Like it's the constant work that adds up to big results, which is like not what it means in the book, but that's like what it (laughs) means in my head right now. (laughs) Well, great. Thank you. Yeah. And how about a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? Oh my gosh, I have so many of these. Okay. One of them, this is is a good one. It kind of um, relates to what we've been talking about, but you know, my, uh, in my work, I have covered, I don't know, hundreds of studies or something like that. And most of them just kind of leave my brain the second the story's done. But, but this one has 
stayed with me. There's this cool study by a Harvard Business School professor. Um, you might have heard about this. People talk about this one. But basically, you can do this very cool magic trick with if you're feeling nervous. Basically, if you tell your if you tell yourself you're actually feeling excited, that is supposed to help you perform better. Because the theory kind of goes that to your body, nervousness feels the same as excitement. You know, your your blood is pumping, your heart's racing. And that's just your body knowing that you've got something big you've got to do. And your body's like, here you go. Here, here's all this extra energy. We're ready. We're ready. If you interpret it as nervousness, it can make you, you know, kind of screw up on the thing that you're about to do. But if you interpret it as excitement, it's supposed to help. And I have thought about that so many times since I read that study five years ago. I find it so helpful. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? There's so many books. Let's see. Okay, this is, I don't know if this is a favorite book. I don't even know if I have a favorite, a one singular favorite book right now. But maybe it's this. I don't know. Something I return to again and again is Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. It's a classic. I, it's the kind of thing I've just pressed on all my writer friends over the years. And, and that's how I found it. A, a older writer friend at a newspaper I worked um, I worked at was like, here, you got to read this. And it's writing advice, but it's also just, it's just kind of wisdom and advice for life. It's just, oh my gosh, just reading that book. I, I've, I've reread it so many, so many times. It has such a uh, such useful advice for writing. Um, she has the idea of the shitty first draft, which is just like letting yourself write the bad version of, of the thing. And you have to do that before you get to the good version of it. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book, especially if you're a writer. So yeah. Cool. And how about a favorite tool? Something you use that, that helps you be awesome at your job? I guess maybe we could say Slack, you know, we use that at my work and, um, there's a lot of people are using it now and there's ups and downs, but I think, I think it's helped make work feel a little more fun. It's helped to make it help make my team feel more like a, like a community or something, you know, we're just, we're just chatting all day and, um, you know, it's helped us get to know each other better. So yeah, I guess, I guess I'll stay slack, although sometimes it's annoying too, but for the most part, it's, it's good. <laughs> okay, cool. And how about a favorite habit? I think that there really is something to the making your bed every day thing. I actually would love to do like some kind of psychological analysis of that. Of well, Maybe it's sort of easy to do, um, but it, it's something that you do in the morning and it really does. So it really does just kind of set your day. It, that's the, it, it just kind of organizes things right away. Um, so that's uh that one and um, writing my to-do list for tomorrow at the end of the day, the end of the previous day. I love doing that. That maybe is would even be, that's probably better than the, the make your bed thing because I don't even do that every day. <laughs> but, the, um, but the writing, yeah, I'm going to switch my answer to that. Writing your to-do list for the next day at the end of the uh, the previous day is so helpful because then you wake up and you just are like, oh yeah, these are, these are my priorities today. You can just jump right into that. It's, um, that's, that's really helped. And, and so do you do that at the end of the workday or at the end of the, I'm about to fall asleep day? I do it at the end of the workday, but I recently read about a, um, some study. It was a pretty small study, but interesting though. It claimed that it helped people fall asleep faster if you write your to-do list right before you go to sleep, which I feel like there's, I don't know. I feel like there probably is some truth to that. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to sleep and my mind is just going over like, oh, I have to do this, 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 don't forget that. So right now I do it at the end of the workday, but 
maybe I should try moving that back a few hours. <laughs> well, I'm intrigued because in some ways, I can see if you're ruminating, that's great to stop that and, mm-hmm. and relax. But I think for me, if I brought my attention to that which tomorrow holds, I would start getting excited and fired up and, and, and the opposite of sleepy. I'd be like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, these are the things I'll get to do tomorrow. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I could see that too. I could see that too. But I mean, I've, I've tried it a couple times and I don't know. Maybe it's only applicable if you, like me, are constantly going through your to-do list in your head when you're falling asleep. The times I've tried it, there is something nice to... Um, just being like, oh, you know what? I already got that. I don't have to. I don't have to worry about that. I, I already got it. Like, calm down. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote you back to yourself frequently. There's a couple lines in the book people seem to like. There's one. It's just a throwaway line. My editor actually wanted to cut, but it's uh, being human is exhausting and embarrassing. Um, <laughs> and people have quoted that back to me. Um, and then there's a line that. Then there's one uh, people seem to like that I I also really like, um, which is, uh, it's also from the book, um, which is the ridiculous in me honors the ridiculous in you, (laughs) 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 which is kind of, um, that's kind of how I feel about these, these embarrassing moments. Like now when, when I see someone, I don't know, yesterday I thought I saw someone like, you know, fall over on the subway. She like mistimed her getting up and. I, I just felt this like kind of sense of connection to this stranger, like, oh, you're a dummy too, just trying to make your way through the world, you know. So, but yeah, people seem to like that. You know, it's funny the the ridiculous would be acknowledges or greets. What is it? Uh, I think it said honors. Honors, so. yes, <laughs> honors the ridiculousness in you. Because I guess that's um, is that what Namaste means? The light in yeah. me honors yeah. the light in you. Because yeah. sometimes I just end up saying Namaste for no reason. I think it's because people have wet hands and they can't shake my hand. I, I, I just, oh, yeah. I end up bowing and saying namaste. I don't yeah. know if that's offensive to any uh, hardcore yoga lovers. <laughs> Apologies. But um, I'm sure it, it's, it's a nice sentiment. It, so. Yeah. yeah we, we, it feels good. And I mean it, you know, hey, I'm honoring yeah. them. And, and we and we have a laugh because it is a little ridiculous. Like, <laughs> no, I just have wet hands. So you just, there's no need to uh, revert to, to these practices. Cool. Well, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, uh, where would you point them? Probably Twitter is the place I am at way too often. Um, They can also buy my book. It's called Cringeworthy, A Theory of Awkwardness, available on Amazon.com or wherever you buy books. (laughs) I had to put that in there. But yeah, Twitter is, I'm on it way too much. So if you say hello, I will definitely see you and say hello back. (laughs) Oh, cool. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I think that I think that fear of awkwardness at work is something that holds people back from, oh, I can't, I can't have that conversation with my coworker. It's going to be too weird. I can't, I can't ask my boss this thing that I should have, I should have figured out three weeks ago. It's going to be too weird. So maybe your challenge is to think about the, the problem you're having or a few problems you're having at work. And if the thing holding you back from solving it is just afraid of you're afraid of it being a little awkward you know don't push through that you can you can do it you can you can get through that (laughs) awesome well Melissa, this has been a whole lot of fun thank you for taking the time and yeah um, thank you so much yeah well good luck with the book and, and all you're up to thank you thanks a lot 
during the conversation with Melissa, I kept thinking about one of my mother's favorite quotes, which goes, we would not worry about how others are thinking about us if we realized how seldom they did so. And I still don't know who said that, but I think it's really cool and applicable when it comes to that self-consciousness, that awkward stuff, handy tips and reframing perspective from Melissa. So appreciate it. And again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep295, including links to those videos in preparation for the Do I Stay or Go course release, which is on Monday. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Julie Foreman. Julie is a partner at Corn Ferry, and she is breaking it down, working with a recruiter one-on-one, how that whole game is played. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 